You are listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I am your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 140. In this episode of the podcast, I'm welcoming back multi-award winning and best-selling author Peter May, who is one of my favorite thriller authors. He wrote the internationally best-selling Lewis trilogy set in the Outer Hebrides of Scotland, the China thrillers featuring a Beijing detective Li Yan and American forensic pathologist Margaret Campbell, and the critically acclaimed Enzo Files featuring Scottish forensic scientist Enzo McLeod, which was set in France. He has also written several standalone novels and had a successful career as a television writer, creator, and a producer in the UK. Uh, Peter made a lot of headlines last year uh, when he published his uh, novel Lockdown, which was uh, heralded as a crime thriller that predicted a world in quarantine. And it's fascinating. He actually wrote that book 15 years ago, but couldn't get it published because the publishers thought its premise of a global pandemic and a major city like London getting locked down was considered too unrealistic 15 years ago. Uh, his latest book is The uh, Night Gate, which was uh, published on March 18th, and it brings back the half-Scottish, half-Italian forensic scientist who lives in France, Enzo McLeod. I highly recommend getting The Night Gate. It's a thrilling, suspenseful whodunit that spans uh, several generations, uh, including the uh, treacherous wartime years of occupied France, the uh, and then the other it's also in the set in contemporary uh, uh, France in the autumn of 2020 as France re-enters uh, COVID lockdown. Uh, this is the first thriller that I've read uh, that addresses the uh, COVID pandemic world that we've been living in uh, for this past year. So I had a great time talking with Peter about that and about lockdown and a whole lot more. Uh, so stay tuned for that uh, interview coming up here just in a moment. A quick reminder: please check out thrillingreads.com forward slash links to rate and review this podcast, join my Thrilling Reads newsletter, access show notes, uh, check out my interview archives, and a lot more on thrillingreads.com forward slash links. All right, here is my interview with Peter May. Hi, everybody. This is Alan with Meet the Thriller Author. And on today on the podcast, I'm welcoming back uh, Peter May, a multi-award winning and best-selling author. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Delighted to be here, Alan. I want to touch based a little bit about about your a book that came out last year for you, and you're probably sick of talking about it, but it's the lockdown. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm sick of talking about it. Uh, you know, it was it, w- when it first came out last year, and it was on all over on the news. I remember thinking, "Wow, Peter really wrote and got that published fast." And then I realized you actually wrote it in 2005. <laughs> Can you tell us that story because it's fascinating. Yeah, well, it was. Um... It was one of those things, you know. I'd, I'd, um, I, I was at a kind of pivotal point in my writing career where I'd written six China thrillers. Um, my publisher had um, drawn a curtain on that; didn't want any more. Um, I wrote a book called The Black House, uh, which at the time I thought was the best thing I'd ever written, but nobody wanted to publish it. Um, and then I wrote another book called Extraordinary People, which was the first of a an intended series about Enzo McLeod, the forensic investigator. Um, and I couldn't get a publisher for that either. And um, and I'd used up two years of my life writing without contract, um, forking out small fortunes to research those books um, <clears throat> and no income. And so I was in a, in a really tight spot and I thought, well, I need to write something fast. I need to write something that uh, is going to sell. So, 
you know, how about a, a, a nice fast-paced thriller that takes place over 24 hours? And um, and I decided to set it in London with a backdrop of a, 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 a pandemic, a viral pandemic. Um, and I, I mean, I'd done research on this subject for previous books, one of my China books. Um, I'd done a lot of research on the Spanish flu virus. Um, and then for another of the China books, I'd considered writing uh, one of one of the, the the murder mysteries set in Beijing, set against the backdrop of a, a pandemic like the SARS pandemic, which had come out in 2002, 2003. Um, but my then publisher didn't like that idea, so I didn't do it. Um, but when it came to this fast-paced thriller, I decided, you know, I was gonna, I was gonna you know, set it in London rather than Beijing, and it was going to be against the backdrop of a viral pandemic. And I did my research. I asked the scientists at the time, you know, what they thought would be the next pandemic. And um, the the universal consensus was that it, it was most likely to be bird flu. Um, so that's what I did my research on. And um, and that's what I wrote. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, I wrote it, really fast i you know from start to finish from from concept through research to storylining to writing the book it took 6 weeks um uh, i was writing 5000 words a day i was burning the midnight oil my wife was leaving plates of food for me at the door um and you know because uh, i was desperate i had to make some money and um lo and behold uh, when i finished it i couldn't get a publisher for it um, cause, uh, the publishers all said, no, this is far too far fetched. Uh, you know, it's impossible to believe that, you know, a major capital city like London could be shut down by a virus. Ha, 15 years later, they know better. Um, and, uh, you know, that was the origin of it, you know, and it's interesting to note that those two previous books I couldn't get published, the black house later became my big breakthrough book and it sold millions of copies around the world. And, um, the ends of files uh, went on to become, uh, you know, big best-selling series. Um, so, you know, what do publishers know? Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. So interesting, yeah. Like, yeah, it's just crazy. You, you kind of think. I wonder how many manuscripts are out there that are fantastic that, are, that haven't seen the light of day or might never see the light of day. Uh, well, I'm quite sure there are plenty of them out there. You know, because um, the people are writing all the time and publishers are rejecting all the time. You know, <laughs> so um, it's uh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, uh, was this was that must have been surreal for you too? The to all of a sudden, you know, you have your book out, and I mean. I mean, obviously you thought about it because, you know, and that's why you wrote it, but did you, uh, was it surreal? Was it creepy for you to see it, like your book kind of come into reality in 2020 and to <laughs> well, today? It was, it, yeah, it was weird because um, <clears throat> I had, to be honest, I'd forgotten about it. I mean, it, you know, you write these things and you try and sell them and they don't sell. And I'd written maybe another 12 or 14 books in the interim and um, so it had kind of receded into the dim and distant uh, mists of my memory. And um, and it was actually somebody on my Twitter timeline who suggested that I might like to write a thriller set against the backdrop of the coronavirus pandemic. And this was last March. And, um, and I suddenly thought, wait a minute, I, I've already done that. Um, only it wasn't coronavirus, it was bird flu. Um, so I went searching about, I found the original manuscript and, um, and I... Reread it. Now, 
I mean, obviously I remembered the, the broad outline of the, the plot, but the detail of it, I didn't really remember. The, and I was kind of blown away by how close it was to what was actually happening at that point with the world going into lockdown, everybody wearing masks, uh, social distancing, funerals and weddings uh, banned, public meetings banned, um, sport cancelled, you know, empty streets. It was just everything that was happening uh, in the world around us, and and it was quite spooky. And even spookier was the fact that at the beginning of the book, the Prime Minister gets it uh, and dies. And and this was as I literally as I was reading it, Boris Johnson got coronavirus, uh, and he 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 was rushed into uh, the emergency room at the local hospital, which is the same hospital in the book that oh. the prime minister, the fictitious one, died in. Uh, and I'm thinking, God, if he dies, I'm going to get blamed <laughs> for this. You know? <laughs> yeah, you're going to have the like the the UK's equivalent of the Secret Service on your door. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow, yeah, that's just that, that must have been just so surreal to uh, see all that <laughs> playing out, and um, and so, yeah, and then it was interesting too because I heard you um, in uh, I think in an interview or I can't remember where I where I heard this, but well, first of all, I'm excited that Enzo uh, McLeod is back in in your in your new, new book, the 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 uh, the Nightgate, um, but that also came kind of because of the pandemic because uh, you were planning to write a book set in Norway, I believe. Yeah, I mean, serendipitous. Um, it, you know, the pandemic is responsible for a lot of things. It's, it was responsible for the publication of, of lockdown, uh, and it killed off the book that I'd been intending to write, a book that I'd spent several months developing, researching. I'd booked my research trip to Svalbard, which is an archipelago in the Arctic Circle, right off the extreme north of Norway. I was really looking forward to that trip, looking forward to writing the book. And um, obviously I, I had to cancel the trip because of the, the pandemic. And um, and I was left sitting there thinking, well, what am I going to write? Because I still had a you know contractual obligation to deliver a manuscript before the end of the year. But I, you know, I couldn't travel for research. Um, I, you know, I, my head was spinning at the time. This would be last June. And, um, and I, it, that was the point. I kind of remembered uh, a blog post um, that I'd made the previous year following a visit to a, a, an exhibition in a, a local uh, town here in southwest France where I live. Um, and the place just five minutes along the road from me. And um, it was an exhibition all about the evacuation of uh, the contents of the Louvre during the war. Uh, to keep it out of, um, well, to, to protect it against, you know, bombing and to keep it out of the hands of the Nazis. Um, and I hadn't known anything about this, but, you know, everything had been evacuated from the Louvre. It had moved first to the Loire Valley and chateaus there, and then it went further south, further south. And it ended up last couple of years of the war right here um, where I live in a chateau just down the road from me. Um, most of the, the paintings from the Louvre were there, including the Mona Lisa. Uh, so I was interested, obviously, to go along and see this exhibition. And and I, we were looking at the panels mounted on the walls, and suddenly I see this black and white photograph. Uh, and I turned to my wife and I said, that's our garage. And <laughs> it was because we own this 
double garage that has a an apartment above it. And just at that point, I was in the process of having it converted into my kind of creative workspace, studio, writing space, etc. Um, that's where I'm sitting, talking to you right now. And I thought, what on earth is this doing up in this exhibition? So we read the blurb, and uh, it turned out that when they evacuated the paintings from the Louvre, there were these canvases that were just huge, I mean, massive things, and they were too big to transport. So they had to strip them out of their frames, and they rolled the canvases around these long wooden poles for transportation. Um, and when they came down here, they, they were too long to get through the door of the chateau. They couldn't get them manoeuvred in. Uh, so they requisitioned my garage, and they fed them through the window here on my right, uh, and they were laid right along the floor here, the full length of the, of the building. Um, and these were world-famous, priceless uh, paintings. Uh, the Wedding Feast at Cana by Veronese, the David's uh, uh, Coronation of Napoleon and, and others. Uh, and they were right here. I mean, I, I, even now I get goosebumps thinking about it. You know, I, I, I feel as if I'm kind of touching history as I sit here. And I did this blog post about it and I got a phenomenal feedback from readers all going say, oh, that's an incredible story. It should it should be turned into a book. You know, and at the time I couldn't think what on earth the book might be. What would what would the story be for a book? But last June when I was sitting looking for a, an idea for a book, something that I could work on quickly, that came back to me and I thought, well, people were interested in this. Maybe I can turn it into a story. So I, that's what I focused on. And Lo and behold, uh, it turned into the night gate. Wow, that's amazing! Yeah, that's I, I received a copy from your publisher, and it's uh, such a fantastic read. And it is it spans many generations, and the and and yeah, I, I, the whole part of the uh, of basically the art these art people playing cat and mouse games with the Nazis to try to protect these incredible pieces. It's just mind-boggling. But then you it goes all the way into the to France in in twenty twenty dealing with a lockdown. So it's just a it's a fascinating read, um, and just it's it's crazy. I didn't realize that you were that your garage played such a big role in it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. It's, uh, it's it, goosebumps. It even appears in the book, you know. Um, <clears throat> it's <laughs> that's your actual. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, I mean, there was a twenty four hour guard guard on the 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 garage during the war. Um, yeah. Uh, when this stuff was here, but uh, armed guards. Um, uh, the, the 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 added benefit of it all to me was that I could set the story right here. I mean, all the the, the contemporary story thread is set where I live um, in the village of Karanak, for example, where the murder takes place. It's just across the valley there. I mean, I can drive to it in five minutes. Um, it was where I bought my first house in France. It's a place I know really really well. Um, and, you know, the Chateau de Montal, where the paintings were kept, I've been going there for 40 years. Um, at the town of Saint-Seray with the towers that sit above it, you know, it's my spiritual home. I wrote a book in a cafe in Saint-Seray. Um, uh, so all these locations I knew really well. So it meant I didn't have to travel for the research. And, of course, the historical story uh, thread, uh, which is set in the 1940s, um, well, I, I, I couldn't travel for that unless I could have traveled back in time. Um, <clears throat> but I was doing all my research 
here on the internet. So it, it just meant that it was a real uh, lockdown book, a pandemic book in the sense that, you know, it, it, I was uh, here in France, they call it confinement, confinement. I was confined to quarters and, and, you know, and this is where I wrote the book. And so, you know, all the elements of it fitted into the fact that I was stuck here. Yeah. That's, just, that's amazing. And then, um, you know, that, that was something else I wanted to ask you about because um, of all, I've been asking all the writers that I've been interviewing here in the past year, and most of them are not touching the COVID-19 or the pandemic in their, in their writing. You took it head on. Is that, did you think about that? Were you worried about that readers might have COVID fatigue? What, what, what made you want to take the, tackle that on? Well, uh, a number of things. Um, I, I mean, the, if, if you're writing two story threads and one of them's historical, that's a fixed point in time. And therefore, your contemporary uh, story thread must relate to that across a fixed period of time. You can't, you know, you can't vary that. You can't, you have to be specific. So I had to choose a time when this was taking place. And it couldn't be prior to this period that we're living in now. And it couldn't be in the future. It had to be now, um, which meant that I had to address the world as it is. Um, and so the story takes place uh, as I was writing it in autumn of 2020. Um, and France was uh, not in lockdown at that particular time, but there were still restrictions. Um, and it went in, back into lockdown uh, at the end of the month, just going into November. Um, and, uh, and so actually, as I was writing, I used the fact that uh, the country was going back into lockdown as a kind of pressure point put on Enzo to solve the crime before lockdown meant that he wouldn't be able to travel. Um, and so story-wise, it, it worked perfectly well. I also think that as contemporary writers, if you're a writer of contemporary fiction, you know, whatever the genre, you have a kind of obligation to uh, reflect the world as it is. Uh, and and so, you know, I wanted to do that. I don't want to make a big issue of it. It wasn't, it's not part of the story. It's just background. It's just the fact that people have to wear masks and gel their hands and that, you know, when you go to the Louvre, they've, they've set up a one-way system so that people are socially distanced and all this kind of stuff. It was just wallpaper, if you like, but it was the, the wallpaper of our contemporary lives. Um, but the other factor that, that played into that was the response I'd had to readers from the book lockdown, um, because, you know, when it first came out, a lot of people said, I can't read this just now. You know, maybe I'll, I'll read it, you know, when the pandemic's over. But that was a minority. The majority of people said, I won't read this now. And, uh, and the feedback I got was that people felt, and this is a weird word, but it was used frequently, a sense of comfort from reading something that was so familiar to them. They're going through this pandemic and in a sense, realizing that other people are going through something similar makes you feel less isolated. So there's a sense of comfort in it. You're not alone in this. Um, and so I felt, you know, well, you know, let's let's reflect that in, in the writing of, of The Nightgate, um, that contemporary story element. Um, it should reflect the lives that the people are living and the life that they know. 
Yeah, I guess even the, uh, when the lockdown first started or the pandemic first started last year, the I remember on Netflix those the t- those two pandemic movies, Contagion. I can't remember the other one. Both were like top. <laughs> so yeah, so a lot of people might not might shy away from it, but a lot of people, like you said, find comfort into it, and that makes makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, I guess if you ignore it, then you'd be kind of writing speculative fiction then, right? <laughs> if you contemporary well, story. Yeah. <clears throat> well, of course, you know, when I first wrote Lockdown, I was accused of writing science <laughs> fiction rather than crime fiction. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You can't win, you know. <laughs> you know, and it had been several years since your last uh, Enzo McLeod uh, book, so I was kind of curious, is that, do you fall right into that character, or does it take you a little bit to get back into into that world? Or Well, it was, it was interesting because... You know, the Enzo books were written from about 2005 to about 2011, something like that. Um, and then I, uh, there was a kind of, I had a publishing upheaval. I changed publisher in America. I changed publisher in, in Britain. I got a new publisher in Britain. Um, <clears throat> and the final book had not been written. And I didn't actually write the final Enzo book until uh, I think probably about 2017, 2018, thereabouts. And and uh, the thing was though that it that there was a timeline in the series, and I couldn't suddenly leap forward you know, seven or eight years. Um, so that book was set at I can't remember exactly which year it was, like 2012, 2013. Um, so um, after that point, you know, Enzo had re- resolved all the, the, the crimes, the cold cases that he'd set himself to do, um, and effectively went into retirement. So uh, the, there was, the, the, although it wasn't, it was only two, three years since I'd actually written the book, it was like seven or eight years since Enzo had finished. <laughs> it, was a, it was a weird dichotomy, and and I... Um, but I was interested to go back to him. I mean, it was, again, it was because I was under pressure, and I, you know, I didn't want to start creating a whole new character. Uh, the story was set in France, uh, so it made sense for me to resurrect Enzo, and he was a character I knew well and and found easy to write for. But it had the additional uh, kind of free song for me in revisiting the character. Um, I mean, he's, I think he's 65 now in the, in the night gate, um, uh, 65 or 66, he's retired, you know, I so it was interesting to kind of explore where he was in his head and his life and, um, how retirement had affected him. Uh, so I, you know, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. You know, um, I really think you're one of my favorite writers and, uh, I, I think you you come up with the best uh, body discovery <laughs> scenes in, in books and and in this one I love this one where uh, someone's been shot in the head and their 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 body's been disinterred by this tree roots. Where do you come up with that? Is that just part of your research? I mean, that is so fantastic. <laughs> I don't know. I don't I don't know where that came from. Just. Um... <clears throat> I don't know. You come up with ideas. You think, I, I suppose I think, I think of things quite visually. So I kind of had a, a mental picture of, you know, the, the fallen tree, you know, the tree comes down in the storm and the roots come up and it brings up this body that's been there for, well, skeleton now that's been there for 70 years. And it just, it was a very visual image for me and I quite liked it. Um, so I, I built, 
the rest of the kind of detail around that, you know, because you have to you have to explain why it's there and how it's there and how it came to be uprooted and all the rest of it. So, uh, but that you know that's all that's all grist to the mill. That's that's all the kind of things you're looking for when you're you're writing a book to, that, that that gives it flesh and and depth. Yeah, and, bef- and bef- before you, just, you were writing your books, you had a very successful career writing uh, for television dramas in the UK. Uh, were you a fan of the crime fiction genre from before? When you, before you started to write them, why did you choose as a crime fiction? Um, yeah, I mean, I'd always uh, always read, you know, all the classic crime uh, writers um, and enjoyed a good thriller. Um, I always enjoyed a thriller in the cinema. Um, uh I never really set out to write in the crime genre. I sometimes describe myself as a an accidental crime writer. Um, uh, when, when you know, when I quit TV in the mid '90s to kind of focus on trying to make a living writing books, um, the first thing that, that I had come up with was a story that really interested me about genetic uh, engineering and the modification of um, foods and crops, um, and uh, I, I kind of had a story in mind, but the problem was how to tell it. And um, and eventually I came up with this idea that I would tell it through the investigation of a murder um, so that the, the book opens with the discovery of a burning body in a park in Beijing. Um, and so I had to create, obviously, a cop, and um, and I had to create a pathologist and the relationship between them and the American pathologist. And, um, and you know, the whole thing developed from that and became a, a kind of a crime thriller. <laughs> um, and in a sense, once, once you embark down a genre road, um, you, you're, you're kind of, uh, you know, stuck in the tram lines of that. Um, because, you know, what, what are genres but marketing, publishers marketing? And, you know, and the publisher doesn't want you to stray outside the marketing guidelines. You're a crime writer. You're a crime writer. So we can market you that way. That Your name is associated with this genre. Um, now, I've never minded that because, you know, A, I enjoy crime books. And I also think that that the crime genre is one of the, the widest possible uh, genres you can imagine. You can write about anything, about absolutely anything. And so, you know, I, I, I have never felt constrained by it, by it and, and I've always enjoyed doing it. So, well, and you talked about your research. You're so well known for your for your research. You, do, you put in a lot of research beforehand. How do you determine what to put in? Or do you end up like a whole bunch of binders of research or, or a computer full of uh, info? I was kind of <laughs> curious about that process. Well, yeah, I mean, you accumulate far more than you ever use, that's for sure. Um, but I mean, I think when you, my years working as a journalist taught me how to select information um, to make a story work. Um, and it, it's no different when you're writing a book. Um, you, you're looking for the, the the research material that is going to make the narrative work or add authenticity to the background. Um, yeah, I mean, I have read books where you think, oh gosh, the writer's done a lot of research here and it shows um, there's too much. He's used too much. Um, uh, and, and that's always a danger. It's always a risk. And, and, and so it's a, it's a balance that you have to strike. Um, I 
the, I mean, the research for the night gate was was huge, and it was under pressure because I I, I had time pressure on me. I had to, I had to get writing fast. I had to start writing in September, and I'd only started working on the thing in June, mm. and um, it so. I, I did a lot of outline, initial outline research. I developed my storyline. I did a lot of outline research. And then I was able to make up a list of all the detailed research I needed to do. And I and I, I looked at it on the page and thought, I was all overwhelmed by it, to be honest. It was, t- I thought, I can't, there's not, there's not time to do all this research. So uh, that's the point at which I prevailed upon my wife, who's also a writer, um, and said, look, would you do some research for me? Would you be my research assistant? Now, this, I never do that. I always do it myself, but I trust her. Um, and so I gave her a list of the things I required detailed research done on, and she produced this fabulous document, um, uh, which it was full of links to web pages, photographs, detailed information on every subject that I was interested in. You know, and I mean, some of these things would be down to, you know, where was the the headquarters in Paris of the uh, the um, arts agency that the Nazis set up to steal art? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and you, you discover it's in this particular hotel, and that that hotel is actually still there. Um, and you know, it has this fabulous cupola, uh, stained glass thing in the in the foyer, and. You know, you you just you pick up all this kind of detail as you're doing it. Well, she she researched into all those different things and found all those for me, and I I just had that document on one of my screen. I worked with three screens, and I had all my research stuff on one screen, and her document was there. And when I needed uh, detailed information, I could scroll down, look at that, click on a link, go somewhere else, and determine what it is I needed to know to 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 give authenticity to the scene so it's a it's a i i mean i enjoy research but this was you know uh the pressure to do this is huge yeah especially since you were already your mind was set already on that other story so the you totally switching yeah. gears i can't imagine how stressful that must have been without yeah. contract uh, deadline looming <laughs> yeah well it's yeah. fantastic yeah. and uh, <laughs> uh it's such a great book and um it's Coming, the night gates are coming out March 18th uh, in here in the U.S. So by the time people are, are watching and listening to this uh, interview, it'll it'll be available. So they have to go get it. It's uh, highly recommended. Uh, what are you working on next? What's uh, next for you? I'm taking a break. Um, <laughs> you deserve it. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I I I feel that I deserve it. <laughs> Uh, last year was a crazy year with the publication of lockdown and the, the kind of international phenomenon that that became and the, the you know the press demands on me for interviews around the world and stuff it was just crazy and then uh, um, you know the writing of you know the cancellation of the trip the writing of the night gate and now with you know the night gates coming out this week um, uh, and last week lockdown came out in France. Um, and it, it's aroused huge interest here. And I've done big interviews for uh, Le Monde and uh, uh, Liberation, the two major uh, dailies in Paris, uh, and who've carried huge big spreads on it. Um, I've been t- in television and radio, and um, 
it's been kind of crazy because I've been doing the promotion for the night gate at the same time. So I'm kind of like, what book am I talking about? What language is this? Um, you know, uh, and my head is totally scrambled at the moment. And I, I just think ah, I need to just take a step back and uh, take a little while to relax. I'm not going to be able to get to Svalbard this year. Um, that's clear. So the earliest that I can get there would be spring 2022. Um, so it will be a decision about whether I do make that trip and write that book or whether it's gone cold on me and I'll, uh, I want to look for something else. But right now I'm just going to chill. Yeah. <laughs> Drink some of that good French wine and uh, smell the roses. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, Peter. Well, thank you so much uh, for uh, taking time to talk to us. Uh, really appreciate you uh, coming on. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Meet the Thriller Author. If you have a moment, please do check out thrillingreads.com forward slash links, where you'll be able to rate and review this podcast or simply rate this podcast wherever it is that you're listening to it, uh, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Audible, Amazon Music, uh, whichever podcast app you prefer, uh, please take a moment to rate this uh, podcast. It's the best way to help other fans of uh, mystery and thriller books to find the uh, podcast, and uh, it helps me get the word out, and so it's the best way to support the podcast. So I do appreciate that. And if you're interested, you can join my Thrilling Reads mailing list. You'll find the sign-up form at thrillingreads.com forward slash links. Once you subscribe for free, you'll be notified about discounts and deals on great books in the mystery, thriller, and crime fiction genres. You'll also find my social media links and my author website over at thrillingreads.com forward slash links. So check it out and say hi. All right, take care and stay safe until we meet again on the next episode of Meet the Thriller Author.